Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing today? Everybody wave at me a little bit. You guys been enjoying summer blockbusters? Yeah, so we're sad that today's the conclusion of summer blockbusters, but listen, the next series is going to be just as good, just as amazing. There will be less movies, but other than that, it's going to be incredible and so awesome. Well, I'm excited to see what God has to say to us today through this movie and through his word but I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about last night, um, our youth pastor, Kyle, and many of you guys, how many of you guys know Kyle Dale? He's the guy that looks like Sasquatch that plays guitar up here a lot of times. He and, uh, he's wonderful, he and our dear, precious uh, sister, Kayla, they got married. Well, he's, they're not brother and sister, in case you're worried about that. In the Lord, right? When I was growing up in church, you would say to people, I love you in God's special way, which is a creepy Christian way of talking, but that's what we would do. We were down in Southern Oregon last night, and uh, they got married last night. Just a wonderful time. And I know a bunch of people from Joy Church Eugene were down there, and it was a wonderful time. Great time being there. But as you know, uh, Southern Oregon is, uh, maybe you don't know this, but Southern Oregon is really smoky right now. And uh, there's a lot of wildfires going on. And so last night, we were, a lot of us were down there in the smoke. So if you hear my voice, I might sound like Betty from the diner. You know what I mean? Hey, you want fries with that? I got all the benefits of smoking without having to actually pay for cigarettes. So it's pretty cool uh, being down there inhaling all that. But I, I actually, um, all joking aside, I wanted to just say a quick prayer for the firefighters in the state of Oregon, but also what's going on in California and all the wildfires there. And how many of you just say, let's just join together in prayer real quick and pray for the firefighters, the people that are bravely fighting and just pray for God to intervene in the situation. Lord, we just come before you today. We thank you, Lord, that we're here in Eugene today and it's a beautiful blue, clear sky, clear air to breathe. But God, we know there's a lot of fires going on and we just lift up in prayer to you right now, the brave men and women that are fighting these fires. We pray, God, for their success and victory over these fires. We pray that, God, you would step in. We pray for their safety. Lord, we pray for all the people that have been uh, affected by these fires. Lord, even in Reading, God, that's still going on, we ask that you would step in, cause the wind to go the opposite direction. We pray that you would protect the families, the people there, the firefighters, Lord, and pray that these wildfires would end. God, that even you could send rain without lightning, and God, you could move in the situation. We lift up this situation and put our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we're going to jump in here today and talk about this movie that we just watched. And I know we're talking about Thor. We watched this movie is Thor, but I want to really put our attention on Hulk, which I think is the coolest anyways. How many of you are Hulk fans, right? And I, I love this, this person, this character, Bruce Banner, who also is the Hulk, because he's kind of a walking contradiction. And I think he's a picture of what we are like, that there's two natures within us. Come on, there's a beast within, right? You see me pre-coffee and post-coffee, it's a completely different human being, right? He makes that sound when he gets punched. That's what it felt like for me waking up this morning, right? Like, oh, how many of you on a Monday morning are like, get away from me, right? <laughs> All of us are this walking contradiction. We've got these wrestling, warring natures on the inside of us. There's the, the good part of us, the part that wants to do the right thing, the part of us that wants to serve God, the part of us that wants to be a good husband or wife, a good father or mother. But then there's also this, Part of us, that beast, right, the Hulk that comes out, the beast within that sort of every once in a while just comes roaring out. Anybody with me? We're this walking contradiction. And you see this really exemplified, I think, most clearly with children. My kids, man, sweet and sour in less than half an hour. I'm telling you, you get them <laughs> the mixed bag. It's like last night, our kids, you know, my daughter, she, she was at the, the wedding and she's six. 
and I understand her perspective here. You know, we're like, hey, we got to go. And it's not over yet. The party's not over. Her friends are there. Her cousins are there. There's food and fun, running around, playing, you know, all this great stuff. And I'm like, Evie, honey, we got to go. We got to get, get home so we can get ready for church in the morning. And she just loses it, right? Just, melting down. She's crying. She's falling. It's like, you know, when your heart is broken, you can't walk, right? I don't know how that, those are connected. The heart bone's connected to the knee bone. No, like, but just falling apart, you know, and, and she was just happy and excited. Now she's falling apart. Well, then I said to them, you know, I go use the restroom and I come back. She's still melting down, trying to say goodbye to grandma and grandpa. And you just think that, you know, something horrible's happened, which it has. She has to leave this wedding, the reception, you know, and I said, well, hey guys, let's grab a donut on the way out. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this change, you see it with children. But how many of you know, we might as adults be good at masking it. We might be a little bit better at covering up the fact that we're actually losing it on the inside. Come on, that we're like freaking out and angry and mad. And I don't want to leave the party right now. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. And, and the beast within, whether it manifests like the Hulk and you just like turn green or whatever, hopefully that doesn't happen. We probably should take you to the hospital if that happens. But maybe we don't just manifest in this really aggressive, visible way, but that beast is on the inside right there. How many of you have ever heard the story uh, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? This famous story. I don't know if you know this, but his name is Robert Louis Stevenson, is the author of this, and he is from the city of Edinburgh, Scotland. And if you go to Edinburgh, as Bethany and I, we went there on our honeymoon. That was one of the stops on our honeymoon. It's an amazing city, just incredible. But the citizens of Edinburgh, they say, it's not Edinburgh, it's Edinburgh. Edinburgh. We were at a Hard Rock Cafe there, and I, and I was uh, trying to buy a t-shirt, and it was like $2,000 or whatever the price was with the conversion rate and everything. And I said, you know, I was talking to the girl there and Bethany and I were talking to her and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about getting this shirt, but I have a Hard Rock Cafe shirt from someplace, you know, this other place, New York. I have one from this place. And she's like, yes, but not from Edinburgh. This really cool accent. Well, Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is from Edinburgh, Scotland. And many people don't realize this, but that story is actually based on a real person. Uh, not a real Dr. Jekyll, but there was a man in Edinburgh whose name was William Brody. And William Brody was a very well-respected member of society. In fact, he was so well-respected that they gave him the keys to the city. And literally, he was a locksmith. He was a, um, uh, what else did he do? He was a cabinet maker. He was a master craftsman. And it was like a big deal to have him build a cabinet for you. And so these, the, the rich of the city, the, the well-to-do people, they would give him the keys to their home, he was implicitly trusted. You know, he's going to do work. They'd give him the keys to their home. And during the day, he's an upstanding man, uh, married man, man of faith, going to church, looking, you know, every bit the upstanding member of society. By night, though, he was a robber. He, was a, he had mistresses. He was a gambler. He was a drunk. Like, he was an awful dude. And he had these dual natures. And what he would actually do is he would leverage his his position as this upstanding member of society to get the keys to people's homes. He would make uh, wax casts of them, and then he would break into their houses later well, with their key, right, that they trusted him with, and steal from them until many, many years later, he was caught, and then he was hung in front of 40,000 people. That's funny. It's like Autzen Stadium coming out to watch a good hanging, right? How many of you are glad we just play football instead of hanging people in front of, okay, anyways, moving on. Just making sure you're still awake this morning. But this, the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this dual nature that Dr. Jekyll by day is this upstanding member of society. By night, he's Hyde. He's 
this evil creature that, that gives in to all of his basest lusts and desires and hurts people and takes what he wants and all this kind of thing was based on a real person. And what I find to be interesting about this is that the story of William Brody made famous by the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is really a picture of what a human heart looks like actually. And I think if all of us were, were truly being honest today, we would say, yeah, there's a little bit of Dr. Jekyll in me, the good, but there's also a lot of Mr. Hyde in me, the bad. That when I don't get what I want, I don't always react or respond in the right way. That maybe sometimes we even put on a show of being good or upstanding, <clears throat> you know, mild-mannered reporter by day, but by night, whatever uh, comes out. And that, that's a really a picture of what the human heart looks like. All of us are dealing with these two natures, just like in the, the movie Thor, Ragnarok, the Hulk is this mild-mannered scientist, this brilliant man, Bruce Banner. He's calm, he's collected, he's got it all together. But when he changes, when he loses it, he becomes Hulk, right? And it's fascinating. We didn't play that clip today, but in the movie, there's a scene where Bruce Banner's talking to Thor and he actually says, <coughs> excuse me, where he actually says, uh, it was different this time. I went in, but I couldn't get out. And what's interesting is that if you just ignore that second side of you, if you ignore that other part of you and you just think, oh, it'll fix itself, you might find yourself trapped inside the Hulk for an extended period of time. And he, like you see him in that movie, he wakes up and he's like, hey, did we, did we win? Did we fight this battle? He's like, that was two years ago, bro. And he realizes I was in this Hulk mode. The beast within was in control for the last two years. You ever woken up and realized, I don't think I was in control for the last two years. <laughs> Somebody's like, that yeah, was called the 60s, right? <laughs> I woke up and it's 1970. What? What happened? Man, we were just dancing and listening to music. Anyways, I wasn't alive, so I don't understand how that stuff went. But all of us deal with these two natures. The Apostle Paul spells this out in the book of Romans chapter 7 in the scriptures. And I, I love this passage of scripture. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We're going to get into the word this morning. He says, so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Everybody say this real quick out loud and put your hand on your chest and say, the trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. Come on, that's what it is to be a man and you know, right, a human being. I don't understand myself. For what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law, that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It's the beast within, this dual nature that we possess. Verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That, how many of you are like, I'm so encouraged? <laughs> Just thank you, Jesus. Because this is where we live, isn't it? But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Paul goes on in verse 21. I have discovered, he says, this principle of life, that when I do, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. How many of you realize this sort of battle that we fight back and forth in our heads. Man, we love God. You come on a Sunday and we're singing about the reckless love of God. And 
How many of you experience this like I do on a Sunday morning in the presence of God? It's like, man, God, I just love you so much. I want you to have your way in my life. I want to be the kind of husband and father and man that you want me to be. I want to be your child. I want to serve you. And then two hours after church is over, I'm back to being the Hulk. And my kids do something I don't like and I go, come on, anybody else alive today? We go all Hulk mode. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power that is within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. And Paul very, very masterfully gives us this picture of what it looks like to be both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde simultaneously living at war within ourselves, this dual nature that the true result of the fall of man is not just the fact that we sin from time to time, it's that sin has taken a hold of our heart and there's a weed in the garden. Come on, there's a root inside of us that, that it wraps around even the good things that we want, the good things that we do, it's in there. And what are we gonna do? Paul says, listen, this is our conundrum. This is our sticky wicket, if you will, that we are wrapped around the good part of us is this evil part. There's a thorn on the rose bush. Come on, there's something on the inside, this battle that's going on. What are we gonna do? And he goes on here and he says, he gives us the answer in verse 25. He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me just give you a church kid tip because I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid, church kid tip right here. The answer to every question in Sunday school, it's Jesus. Who loves you? Jesus. Who died for your sins? Jesus. Who's the savior? Jesus, right? I mean, it's the answer to every question. And it's the answer right here. Paul says, what, what are we gonna do about this? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, a lot of people are looking for answers and finding solutions or looking for solutions in all types of different ways. But the answer is still Jesus. I was talking to my parents this weekend and just having a great late night chat. And we're talking about therapy and we were laughing because there's nothing wrong with going to therapy. I'm not criticizing it, but we were laughing because Bethany and I were sitting at home and all of a sudden this uh, online therapy thing was advertised to me on Facebook. And so she was teasing me like they recognize that you're the kind of person that needs this. And I'm like, they're right. <laughs> but I can't afford it because they would be on the phone all day. You know what I mean? Be like, and that happened to me. And then this, and then I was here. And then they said this to me. And they said, I don't like you. And I said, I like you back. And I'm sorry. Right. I mean, I would just go all the time anyways. But what's interesting about this is we were talking about, I was talking to my parents about this, that we live in a culture that's obsessed with therapy. And I find it fascinating because what people want to do is they want to put their hope in a savior. But the answer can't be Jesus. That's like too religious or that's too simple or that's too easy. No, it's another person who's gonna figure me out and help me understand myself. But let me just tell you right now, that's nothing wrong with that. Other people can help you, but the therapist you're talking to is just as messed up as you are. They're just messed up in a different way. Come on, if you think like, well, I come to church because Jake's got it all together. <laughs> no. If you come here because you think I've got the answer for you, you're wrong. The answer is always Jesus. The answer is a relationship with Christ where you allow him to communicate with you and you open up your life and you let him come in and begin to rearrange the furniture in your heart and your mind and begin to change you from the inside out. That's always the answer. And it's not an easy answer. And it's not just this simplistic thing. What it's saying is, do you really connect with this fact, this idea that it's not therapy, it's not Oprah, it's not my pastor, it's not my, my small group leader, it's not this other person, it's not my husband or my wife, my hope is in Christ. Until we understand he's the only hope, he's the only way, he's the only life, he's the only answer, we're gonna be falling short. 
Paul says it's in Jesus. Thank you. Somebody is in church today. Hallelujah. All right. The only answer is in Christ. He says, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But he goes in in Romans chapter 8, the very next passage right here. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Listen, all of us struggle with the beast within, but let me just tell you right now that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for that beast to die. Come on, that maybe we will wrestle with our iniquities. We will wrestle with our bad habits. We will wrestle with our fallen inclinations and that, that side of us that wars against the good in, in our minds. And we might be conflicted on this side of eternity, but the victory has been won in Jesus. And if you want to begin to take steps towards that victory and begin to see it, begin to live and manifest in your life and your, your living and your doing and your eating and your breathing and your marriage and your kids and your work, if you want to begin to see the life of Christ, you got to stop trusting in other stuff and connect and say, it's only in Jesus. That's my answer. That's my hope. Come on. He's already has victory over the power of sin that is within me. Because I belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. Now I want to just give you a couple thoughts on this passage and give a little bit of context of how Paul, his readers would understand this and what Paul's meaning and some of the things that he's saying in here. It's very interesting because in ancient literature, including the scriptures, including this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, somewhere in the first century AD, ancient people recognized, even many, many centuries before this was written, they recognized this inner struggle that every human face faces to, to, that they want to do one thing, but they do another thing. And so for all these centuries, even before Paul comes on the scene, you have what's called Stoic philosophy. And the Greeks had two major wings of philosophy that they produced. There was the Epicurean side of philosophy, which was basically do what you want to do and be happy and die, you know, die young, but make a pretty corpse, whatever, you know. <coughs> and then you had the more prevalent Stoic philosophy and we have our word like that man has a stoic disposition, right? And we kind of get this idea that they were about depriving themselves of pleasure or whatever. But I'll explain a little bit about this. So Paul's readers in the church in Rome at this time, they have a, a backdrop of, of really this stoic philosophy. They recognize this inner struggle, this beast within. And the stoic philosophy taught this, that reason the power of the mind, mind over matter, that if I get my mind right, if I can think the right way, if I can leverage the power of positive thinking and dominate my nature if with, with, through reason, that is the key to defeating the duality of my personhood. And I know I just use a lot of big words there, but basically what the Stoics said is this, you have the power within yourself to basically fix yourself. Now, let me just tell you right now, this philosophy is alive and well in our culture. Let me just tell you right now, you go on Twitter, you're going to see it with a lot of different, spoken in a lot of different ways and a lot of horrible grammar. But what you're going to see is that people will say, oh, I'm dealing with this and saying, you need to believe in yourself because you've got the answer. You're, you're good enough. You, you've got it inside of you. And what's being spoken is stoic philosophy. It's that mind over matter. If you change your thinking, if you change how you think and you think better thoughts about yourself, then you will overcome the, the problems in, in your life. This is a, a huge message in our culture right now. It's self-help. It's, I can, let, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. What's being spoken here? It's that you can be your own savior. 
that you have the power in yourself to defeat the beast within. But that is antithetical to the Christian message. The gospel requires humility. Here's why, because you have to admit, I can't win on my own. See, the thing is, whether you're religious or irreligious here today, because I know every day, every Sunday in church, there's, a, there's two crowds that are here. There's people that are like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm into the Jesus thing. And there's other people that are like, I don't really, I'm not into the Jesus thing. I'm just checking it out. Or I got stuck in a, thought this was a movie and it's not. And it's too awkward to leave now. But whether you are religious or irreligious, you have to have an answer for this question. And whether you're religious or irreligious, you're going to be tempted to stand in your own righteousness. If you're irreligious, maybe you say, I've got the answer inside of myself. If I think better, if I act better, then I'll fix this internal struggle, this problem. Maybe you're religious and you think, well, if I, if I do the right stuff, then that will fix it. But the ultimate truth of Christianity is actually the answer is not inside of you at all. It's not in your good and or bad behavior. It's not in your capacity to think a certain way. It's in, is in this one fact. Do you trust and believe that what Jesus did for you on the cross was sufficient to make you right with God? Do you trust and believe that when Jesus gave his life for you, that he saved you and it's not based on your behavior, good, bad, ugly, whatever. That whether you're Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, whether you're Bruce Banner or the Hulk, that it's about what Jesus did for you, not about yourself. That's what the gospel is. So Paul's readers, they recognize this inner struggle. They realize that Stoic philosophy is saying, you can use your mind and leverage it against and fight this battle. But then Paul's also speaking to a Jewish community and they, they had this idea that it was knowledge of the law, that if I understand the Bible, if I, it, you know, there was the Stoic philosophy, which was the mind over matter, the ability to discipline yourself. But then there was this religious perspective that, hey, if I, I can kind of earn my way to God, if I memorize all the right verses and if I do the right stuff, then I'll win. And Paul, in this passage, just masterfully deals with both. He says, it's neither of those things. It's not your ability to do right, not your discipline level. He's speaking to the Stoics. And it's not your religious effort or knowledge or your ability to be a good person. The answer is in Jesus. The answer is in Jesus. That is how we deal with the beast within. This morning, as we move forward, I want to give you four quick things, four handholds on this message that we can put into play. The first thing we need to do when we talk about how do we deal with the beast within, this dual nature, and how many of you would say, yeah, I recognize that in myself? You'd say, yeah, I, I, I've actually hurt myself because of this dual nature. Anybody? Only like two people in this church. I need a bunch of liars. So I'll say right now, my hand is up because right here I deal with this. Not, not before. Don't you love pastors like when I was a sinner <laughs> 25 years ago? But now that I'm in Christ, everything's perfect. That's not true. There's still a beast within. The Hulk still comes out from time to time. And when I say time to time, I think maybe you think like every once in a while. No, like every once in a moment. <coughs> How do we deal with it? Number one, we got to face it. Can't ignore it. Can't deny it. You can't just say, I don't have a problem. Many of us, you know, know are familiar with the uh, celebrate recovery and the the mindset and what, what's one of the first things that you have to do? You got to admit, my life is unmanageable, right? I don't, I have a problem. I can't control this anymore. You say, well, that's for drug addicts. That's for, that's for, you know, let me tell you, every one of us is, there's no such thing as really a drug addict or an alcoholic. Everybody in here is a sin addict. We are all addicted to medicating our own problems through whatever we do. So whether you decide to do that through drugs or pornography or lust or whatever it is, or you do it through alcohol, or you do it through anger, or you do it through 
trying to make more money than everybody else and pride, whatever it is, you're addicted to sin. You're fighting this struggle. Anybody with me today? And so the first thing we got to do is we got to face it. We have to admit it. Own up. Don't deny. Don't, don't, don't lie to yourself and say, well, I'm basically a good person with a few flaws. No, you're basically a flawed person with a few good qualities that sneak out from time to time. And that's not to be, you know, it's not to come against good self-esteem because the opposite happens. When you come to Christ, he reveals to you who you really are, son or a daughter of God. But here's the thing. Self-esteem without right behavior is false. It's living a lie. You know, you guys, let me just be honest with you. When I was um, 270 pounds, when I got married to Bethany, um, I didn't sit there and think to myself, I'm really in shape. I mean, I technically was a shape. I was round. That round is a shape, right? But at some point I, I had to like, I had an awareness like, okay, my personal value and self worth isn't based on how I appear. Come on. But I run faster when I'm 70 pounds lighter than I did when I was 270. There is such a thing as recognizing that what I am right now, that I have an issue that I want to deal with. And I'm not criticizing anyone who struggles with weight. I'm one of us, right? I do. And I still struggle with it. I still go up and down a little bit. I want to, you know, I, I give in. Now, but, but how many of you understand that we got to admit at some point, like when I was heavier than I wanted to be, I had to say, I actually need to deal with this and I need to make some changes. But our culture wants to tell everybody, no, you're, you're perfect just the way you are. You're not. And, and maybe you're fine. Whatever you, I'm not saying you need to lose weight. We're not talking about that. The, the issue is understanding that you got to face what's actually going on and live in the truth and live in the light. Your capacity to receive and walk and respond in truth is going to define your success in life almost more than any other factor. Will you listen to the truth of God's word? Will you listen to the truth that other people reveal to you? And will you operate and respond and walk in truth? We got to face it. We got to face the fact that we've got a beast within. Uh, We're reading a book in our staff right now. It's a wonderful book. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And I'm so proud to say that I've fully mastered emotional health. And I'm just, just, it's amazing how I'm able to just out of the overflow of my emotional health. (laughs) Wrong. I read that book and it slaps me in the face. You ever have a book that literally you feel like it's stabbing you in the stomach every time you read it? And Pastor Pete Scazzaro writes in this book, he calls it the shadow, that all of us have a shadow. And I think it's a good way of talking about this beast that we face. And the shadow is not all negative, but it's this accumulation of our experiences and our our upbringing and the, the decisions that we've made and the way we think. And we have this shadow side of us. And he talks about we need to face it. He says, your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts, that while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. Every one of us has a shadow. Every one of us has a beast within. We all have the Hulk lurking on the inside, ready to burst out at a moment's notice. And what doesn't work is to deny it. What works is to face it and say, God, I'm actually going to admit that I do have something there. And instead of running away from it or ignoring it, I'm going to say, Jesus, would you deal with this? Jesus, would you let me see the next step that I need to take? Jesus, would you bring the people into my life that will speak truth to me, not just speak what's easy and what I want to hear, but would you let people that actually care about me enough to tell me the truth into my life and help me to listen. Come on, somebody. You got to face your shadow. You got to face the beast within. Number two, how do we deal with this? Get help. One of the most beautiful things about the church is that we are the body of Christ. And in America, we're really caught up in this whole thing of individualism. Everybody's a hero. Everybody's like their own thing, right? But 
The reality is when you're saved, you are saved into something. You are saved into a collective whole, the body of Christ, the church. And being a Christian is not a solo project. Being a Christian is like being on a football team, not like being on a golf team, right? It's not like you do your own thing and it's all your contrib- you know, it's all on you. No, it's, it's something that we do collectively. You can play golf by yourself. You can't play football by yourself. I mean, some people could, I guess, if you're fast enough, you could throw the ball and then run and catch it. But Marcus Mariota did it in a game in the NFL, right? Tossed it, got the ball. But we all understand this idea. It's a team sport. Being a Christian on a positive missional side of things is, is a team effort. But it's also a team effort when it comes to how we grow and how we change. Did you know one of the best ways to find out who you really are is to get around other people who are flawed too and actually allow them to speak into you and and you speak into them. We talk a lot about joy groups and our joy groups are not just like cute clubs where Christians come together and sit around and eat casserole and talk about Bible verses that are boring or whatever. That's not what they are. If that's what your joy group is, you, you need to fix it, right? Because a real joy group should be us coming together and speaking truth to one another in love. Come on and actually growing together and maybe being a little bit vulnerable. Hello, somebody. Like saying, you know what? Actually, I do have a beast within. Actually, I, I, you know, I do have a problem with anger. And having somebody else say, okay, let's pray about that. Let's talk about that. But listen, it's okay to get help, isn't it? And, and actually, you're supposed to. You're supposed to turn to God for help, but you're also supposed to be a part of a community, not just isolated. And I love it in the, in the movie we just watched, Here's Bruce Banner. He's trapped in the Hulk and he's never going to get out until Thor comes and just kicks his butt, right? And he goes full God of thunder and lightning and just, ah, right? And destroys him. (coughs) How many of you know we need that sometimes? You need Thor to show up in your life. Some of the ladies are like, amen. You need him to show up to help you. And who's Thor in your life? Who's going to come in and help you see and break out? You need to get help. Number three, have to trust in Jesus. I've talked about this already, but we got to believe in the real gospel, the gospel of grace, the fact that we don't stand on our own two feet. We need a savior and we need to accept him and accept that we are forgiven and free and part of the family by the work of Jesus, not by our own merit. So many Christians don't believe in the real gospel. And maybe you think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven when I die. Okay, sure, whatever. But Do you believe in the real gospel? Because the real gospel is transformational. The real gospel will actually help you break the bonds of this beast within and begin to walk in freedom. Do we trust in Jesus? Really actually trust in Jesus? Because if you're sitting here in condemnation, feeling guilty and bad, like, oh, I'm such a bad person, that's not trusting in Jesus. And we think a lot of times, oh, it's people who are not in church that don't trust in Jesus. But actually there's more people that don't trust in Jesus who are in the church because they've actually been given an opportunity to trust in Jesus and they're deciding actively not to. I'll just leave that there for one second. Okay, number four, we need to surrender to God. Surrender to God. Something the Lord's been putting in my spirit for our church right now is that, man, we wanna come together on Sundays and we wanna have great experiences and worship and win people to Christ and have these great moments. That's awesome. But ultimately our mission is to make disciples of Jesus. And so let me just give you a, let me just ask you a question and I'm going to warn you before I ask you, this question will wreck you and it's very dangerous. So if you don't want to be transformed today, please close your ears and go, no, 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 don't listen. But let, let me just unleash a dangerous thought, a dangerous question into your mind. And how many of you are like, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Are you fully surrendered to God? 
is there a step that you could take in following Jesus that you aren't right now? Have you stopped somewhere on that path of being a disciple? Do you know what it means to be a disciple? Do you, do you really know? I mean, does, does, does being a disciple of Jesus affect how you spend your, your money? I was reaching for my wallet, but it's gone. My wife probably has it. <laughs> does being a disciple of Jesus affect, I'm just teasing you, babe. She has all my credit cards anyways, right? It's our, both of our money and she's better with it anyways. Does being a disciple of Jesus affect your marriage? Does being a disciple of Jesus affect your work? Does being a disciple of Jesus affect your education? Does it affect the TV shows that you watch? Does it affect the music you listen to? Does being a disciple of Jesus impact, affect, and influence the way you interact with people in the community? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? Are you fully surrendered to God? Or are you still holding on to some strongholds in your life of areas unsurrendered? Because listen, the key to breaking through, to beating this beast within, to allowing the freedom and the fullness of what God has for us is to fully surrender to God. Trusting in him and surrendering your life to him allows you to be reintegrated. Let me just tell you the thing about sin is deceptive and it gives us pleasure for a season, but what it does is it ultimately disintegrates our life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So whenever I give in to my sinful desires and I feed the beast within, what happens is it might feel good for a time period, but, what, but then what occurs is death begins to grow. Death begins to happen. And then we start seeing death in our mind, death in our emotions, death in our relationships, death in our workplace, death in our schools. We begin to see death manifested, even in a cultural level, as our culture has gone increasingly away from the ways and the wisdom and the word of God, we see death manifested, even actually death, physical death, because of evil that is allowed to grow. Come on, somebody. And sin disintegrates. It breaks us apart. It leads to death. But when we trust in God, when we, when we surrender fully to him, what he begins to do is weave our hearts back together into an integrated whole that actually coming to Jesus is not just like adding something to your life, but it's actually teaching you how to be the kind of human being that God actually formed and fashioned us to be. And the way he wove us and the way he designed us and he's bringing us back to that. And so trusting and surrendering in God, walking in that fullness of giving him your whole life, it begins to reintegrate you. And it's spoken in this beautiful prayer in Psalms 86. Train me, God, to walk straight, then I'll follow your path. Put me together, one heart, one mind. Then, undivided, I'll worship in joyful fear. Put me together, one heart and mind. It says in the New King James Version, unite my heart to fear your name. When we fully surrender to God, what takes place? He begins to reintegrate us, to bring us back together. I'll tell you one more story and then we'll end today. A couple years ago, many years ago, Bethany and I were leading a college internship group in Medford and Bethany had all this beautiful china and tea set on the wall and like a hutch on the wall, shelves that hung on the wall. And one of the students, they were getting rowdy and doing stuff, which if you're going to run a college internship, you're, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> she jumped into it or whatever, slammed into it. And this china, the shelf broke and all these pieces of fine china were just, and they didn't fall all at once. It was like the shelf broke and they were sliding. And it was like, one of those slow motion things where you're like, ah, and you can't get to it and all this China just crash, 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 crash. And I remember thinking it's all a waste. It's all gone. It's all done. But over, my, over time, I, I saw my wife. She was collecting the pieces and she put them all together. She brought them all together. 
And she very carefully went through and she began to take one piece and find the match and glue it together. And many of those pieces that were broken that I said, this will never be back together. That'll never come back. It's gone. It's gone. She reintegrated it with care, with artistry, with intelligence, with grace and beauty. She brought it all back together and pieced it back together. And that which seemed like it would always be disintegrated, that which seemed it would always be broken. Some of those pieces, you can barely even tell they were ever broken. Many of you, maybe you've heard of the, the concept of Kintsugi, but Death Cab for Cutie did an album about the Japanese philosophy of Kintsugi, where they actually consider something that's been broken and mended, broken and mended to be more beautiful than even it was originally. And they'll take gold and seal it back together. And it's a picture of what can happen when you turn your life to God, that that beast and the destruction that takes place and the disintegration of sin that we've all experienced, that actually when you surrender your life to God, just like my wife took that china and put it back together, what God can masterfully do in our lives and our hearts is he can, he can get all the broken pieces and all those things that you thought this will never be right again. And he brings it all back together and very carefully and very lovingly and expertly, he begins to put those pieces back together and brings it into a united whole. God, unite my heart to fear your name. That is what God can do. That beast that's caused all this destruction, God can take all those broken pieces and bring them back together if you'll trust in him.